The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, happy Monday, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box with Steve Sedgwick. Yep, just Steve Sedgwick. Okay, let's get into the headlines. Chinese stocks rallying to four-month highs with the CSI 300 marking its best day since February 2019 as investors bet on a reopening boom rather than focusing on a worldwide surge in virus cases. The World Health Organization reports another record rise in global infections, with U.S. Sun Belt states spiking over the July 4th weekend, while Spain puts two regions back into lockdown after fresh outbreaks. Comments Bank succumbs to the pressure as the CEO and chairman both resigned following a dispute with activists, investors and unions. CNBC sources say an internal replacement is being considered. And Warren Buffett's back in the fray. Yeah, Berkshire Hathaway making a $10 billion bet on Dominion Energy, buying up the natural gas and storage assets in the billionaire investor's first major deal since the onset of the outbreak. I'll tell you what, funny old world, isn't it? It's my first time I've been back in the CNBC studio since March 14th as well. So quite a nice place to kind of take stock of what's going on. And it's interesting reading a city piece that dropped in my inbox uh, over the weekend, uh, talking about where we're at. And stalemate appears to be their conclusion at the moment. I stalemate in the fact that the reasons to be bullish are being offset by the reasons to be bearish and vice versa, of course. They're saying bullish, how do you fight the Fed six trillion dollars of financial assets over the next 12 months by various central banks are going to be pumped into these global markets. The economy is showing some signs of recovery from the lockdown, uh, but their bear list uh, is checking at the moment only 6.5 out of red flags. Yeah, out of 18 red flags, 6.5 out of 18. Not sure you can have half a red flag, Uh, but the reason to be bearish, of course, the world economy remains vulnerable, uh, rising COVID-19 infections, as we mentioned in the headlines, and they believe that the bottom-up EPS consensus for at the end of 2021 is 30% too high. So they think 30% too high uh, on those earnings expectations, uh, basically saying global equities are trading on circa 24 times earnings, 24 times, uh, not a more reasonable 17 times as well. So let's take a look uh, at these various markets. US futures, they're behind me. I don't even know which side. Here we are, first time back. (laughs) <laughs> uh, 48 points higher is the S&P 500 expectation, 433 points to the good on the Dow, the Nasdaq 160. Do you know what I really wish? I really wish I had two more rows at the bottom, but I guess I'd be down by my feet there. I really wish I could show you on a daily basis broader US stocks, because the point I've been drumming into you all, you lot, and I think you've got the message by now, is there is way bigger market than you lot just looking at the herding of the Nasdaq, than way uh, looking at a few consumer discretionary stocks, which of course includes the likes of Amazon. You need to look at the broader US as well. You need to look at the Russell 2K. You need to look at the transports. You need to see that there are a whole host of indices out there that are not gangbusters to the upside. That said, though, these markets look pretty ebullient today. Ebullience as well in Hong Kong as well. So despite all those political woes, despite all those concerns about what's going on politically, socially, economically in broader China as well. Three and a half percent up for the Hang Seng. The Japanese market is 1.8 percent to good. Shanghai Composite. 
4.24% high. I haven't got a clue what's going on, but I know someone who has. Sam Badas joins us uh, with more uh, on these moves today. Good morning, Sam. Nice to see you. Good morning to you, Steve. Yeah, as you say, mainland markets certainly shrugging off a lot of this geopolitical tension that we're seeing, but also these coronavirus fears. The uh, China's blue chips hitting a five-year high. Shenzhen Composite up over 3% out of the lunch break. The Shanghai Composite, as you mentioned, surging above 4%. Chinese shares have certainly been given a boost off the back of that very upbeat data we saw last week, really fueling hopes of a steady and quick economic recovery. Experts do expect China's recovery to be a lot quicker um, out of the pandemic than other countries, which are, of course, now seeing a spike in cases, but also more lockdowns. They also say that the market continues to believe uh, that there will be further easing by China's central bank. At the same time, though, all eyes are on China's Semiconductor Manufacturing International, that is SMIC, that is China's big chip maker, and that is because it's gearing up for a mega IPO. So the company had originally planned to actually raise around 20 billion yuan. It is now looking at over 46 billion, so more than doubling its initial target. And that comes after the company's Hong Kong listed shares tripled this year. They actually rose this morning to over 10% uh, to a record high of 36.60 Hong Kong dollars. Now, uh, According to an official document of this announcement, online subscriptions will start tomorrow. We will be watching, of course, out for that listing date uh, on the tech-heavy Nasdaq-style starboard. This will be the biggest listing the starboard has seen since it opened last year. Back to you guys. All right, Sam. Thank you very much indeed for that. We'll see you a little bit later on. So the World Health Organization has reported another record rise in global virus cases. Let's just take a step on that. The economy is supposed to be recovering. The third quarter, fourth quarter, we're supposed to see a bounce back. And I've just said to you that the World Health Organization has reported another record rise in global virus cases. That's quite tempering, isn't it? Uh, they jumped more than 212,000 globally on Saturday. Now, US infections continue to spike with more than 42,000 confirmed on Sunday. Now, this is despite reduced testing during the July 4th holiday weekend. NBC's Jennifer Johnson has the latest. President Trump celebrating part of the holiday weekend on the golf course. This has been a 4th of July like no other, with some states closing beaches and banning large gatherings, while others saw packed crowds. In his holiday address, the president predicted an answer soon to COVID-19. And we'll likely have a therapeutic and or vaccine solution long before the end of the year. The FDA commissioner is not backing up that timetable, nor the president's unfounded claim that 99% of COVID-19 cases are totally harmless. Well, I'm not going to get into who's right and who's wrong. Those data show us that this is a serious problem. Florida has reported over 10,000 new cases three of the past four days. Over 30 states are also seeing increases. We know that when we go back to living, like we don't, we're not living in a pandemic, we end up with more cases and those end up in more hospitalizations. In states where leaders have gotten the virus under control, concern there will be another wave. We're starting to see a, a, a small spikes in reinfection from folks coming back from places like Myrtle Beach and, and a, as well as in Florida, other hot spots. To me, it says we need a national strategy. Meanwhile, pro sports continues to take a hit from COVID-19. Major League Baseball teams are just beginning their training camps, but already some big names are calling it a season. Dodgers pitcher David Price, the latest to say he won't play after over 30 players across 19 teams have tested positive for the virus.
Jennifer Johnson, NBC News, Washington. Uh, Britons, I should say I didn't, but most Britons apparently flocked to the pub this weekend as bars, restaurants and hairdressers opened their doors for the first time in over three months. The UK Health Minister, actually Secretary Matt Hancock, praised the largely responsible crowds but warned action will be taken should new outbreaks emerge. The overall plan has always been, through this uh, lifting of the lockdown, to try to lift the national measures but also be absolutely crystal clear that we'll tackle local flare-ups when we see them. Uh, and we've seen that in a number of places and we've taken either, we've taken targeted uh, action and targeted measures and then if that hasn't worked, we're fully prepared to take the action like, uh, like that that we took in, in Leicester. Spanish authorities have imposed two regional lockdowns over the weekend. Catalonia reintroduced restrictions on Saturday with Galicia following suit on Sunday. Let's get the update from Charlotte with more. Charlotte, Spain has had a, a great deal of success at closing out COVID infections. What's going wrong now? You're right. Well, the, the state of emergency ended on June 21st after a very gradual, very uh, careful deconfinement. And there have been clusters here and there that have been quickly identified. As you say, there's been two cases this weekend and two lockdowns had been put in place uh, to try and stop the second wave of uh, this virus. So on Saturday, it was in Catalonia, in the county of Segriad, which is, uh, includes the city of Leida. So there's about 200,000 people that have been put under lockdown at the west of uh, Barcelona. They had about 4,000 cases identified in that county alone and has identified a close uh, link to, to uh, fruit pickers and agricultural workers in that region. So the Catalan authorities have decided to shut this lockdown. So it's not a super tight lockdown like we've seen uh, in the spring. Uh, they've just people cannot go in and out of that county. But within this county, people are allowed to circulate. They're just telling people to, to, that gather, uh, gatherings are limited to 10 people to not do family gatherings, etc. And then on Sunday, we had news that also in Galicia, then on the Atlantic side of the country. They identified another cluster here and so another lockdown in a specific county where they identified about 300 cases, this time linked to bars and identified sweet bars um, uh, had caused uh, these contaminations there. So they've closed this one. It is, in this case, it's about 70,000 people under this specific lockdown and they say it will be about five days. So it's interesting in that region because there is a regional election next weekend. So it'll be interesting to see there's some calls already calling for a postponement of that election, regional election there, like we've seen in France uh, in particular. And so it's interesting and it's, it's concerning for Spain because um, they've just reopened their borders. They want to attract tourists. It's 12% of their GDP, very important sector for the Spanish economy. So this could be bad news for Spain. And to give you an example, the running of the bulls, a famous festival in Spain, in San Fermin, in the Basque Country, has been cancelled. And they've put checkpoints to make sure that people don't descend on the city to hope for a festival because it has been cancelled. So it just gives you an example of what Spain has to do in this new normal uh, while dealing. But they say, the health authority says, they've been careful that the system is working, that they've identified these clusters and that they're putting the measures in place to stop a second wave, Steve. Yeah, and this is the absolute point. Everybody believes there will be a second wave. Now, the magnitude of a second wave is the big question as well. Presumably, the authorities were ready for these outbreaks uh, and they were ready for spikes again regionally and are much better prepared on both the healthcare system and indeed getting the messaging out there uh, more quickly than last time round. And I'm presuming that the measures that have been put in place are actually uh, 
are they draconian or are they actually just very targeted for those regions or are they prepared to roll them out a lot bigger across wider areas if indeed necessary? Well, as I said, they assess situation, they monitor the, the, the health situation, and like like we just said, they, they said there is a system in place, unlike what we saw in March and April, they won't be caught by surprise, there is testing system, there is tracking system, and that they can identify these cases early and start step-by-step step putting lockdowns and ramp up the, the measures when necessary, like they've done just here. So they, they try to reassure, saying that they are on top of the situation, they have been clusters, they've been clusters in France, they've been clusters in Spain, they said they've seen them have identified them quickly enough and uh, so they, they try to reassure the population that the, the system is in place to stop a big second wave. Thank you very much indeed for that. Let me just tell you that uh, the piece of uh, copy I was mentioning at the wall uh, from Citigroup, I think it's very interesting. I noticed Reuters are flashing uh, a few of the bullets from this as well. This comes from the team headed up by Robert Buckland on a, a global basis. City expects global equities to still be around current levels in 12 months' time. Trade wars remain a concern, but valuations are cheap and economies uh, are relatively robust. I think that's walking back on their previous pessimism. I'm pretty sure City have been one of the most bearish out there as well. What does Peter Shafrick think, though? Global market strashes at RBC Capital Market. Morning, Peter. The point here is that the concerns about economies and second waves uh, and indeed a lack of a robust V are offset by this vast tranche, what, $6 trillion of central bank uh, largesse as well. Do you think we're well balanced? Well, look, I, I think what the, I, and we heard that from your colleague earlier. I think the key question in my mind that markets want to see is, um, does these, do these local strategies, do these local lockdowns, um, can they work? And if they work, you can continue to reopen some parts of the some parts of the rest of the economy while still fighting the coronavirus on uh, on the other hand. And I think that's that's the key. And on top of that, of course, you have all this largesse. If it can work, um, then I think we're probably in for um, an positive couple of months until we see what the, what the autumn brings. If that doesn't work, I think we're probably in for a rude awakening. Uh, look, guess what? Um, this horrible, horrible virus is with us all for a very long time unless we can find a vaccine. And even then, of course, we know the difficulties of a mass rollout as well. Do you think we're ever going to see the draconian shutting down of economies that we saw at the start of this crisis? I would say it's unlikely. And again, because what we've seen is, A, how economically damaging it is, but also that it brings a, a whole range of other problems. And we have to see this is really sort of the the sledgehammer of methods. This is the this is the absolute maximum that you can go. But what we've, what we've seen, we heard it from Hancock um, in your trailer earlier as well, is most of the governments, at least in Europe and in Asia, have shifted to a different strategy, tech-based isolation, local lockdowns, and all the rest of it. And the question is whether that can replace these full lockdown measures. Um, and you know, so far, at least, would um, so far the experience is halfway positive. What should our viewers be looking at for the week ahead? The data last week was good. Let's be honest about it. Let's call it how it was. The employment data, uh, a lot of the manufacturing data, a lot of the forward-looking surveys were very positive as well. Is there a key piece of data on either side of the Atlantic you think our viewers need to really focus on this week? Well, I'm not quite sure there is one piece of data that sort of would change everything. And frankly, I'm even discounting some of the data that you've currently mentioned because we're still in a phase where it's very, very unknown um, about you know, how far the economy fell and, um, and, and how we're bouncing back. In my mind, um, if, I, if I look at the range a bit further ahead, it's, it's a question about the policy decisions and the policy um, um, guidelines that will be 
giving. So um, Sunak's statement, for instance, is going to be very important. I think the European meeting uh, where we'll recovery fund. These are the things that I'm watching out for. So these medium things um, that guide us rather than this one data point. You've really um, caught my attention with uh, your piece of copy from the 3rd of July. And, and on page two, you say lack of liquidity makes it difficult for the Bank of England to increase corporate bond purchases. So we've got this great big fat safety net that uh, I have my questions about, which is that the central banks are delving into corporate bond markets, corporate bond markets, which I think for blue chips are very well bid anyway as well. But you're saying they can't even complete their role because there isn't what there isn't an offer of any of these blue chip bonds because everyone's bought them beforehand. But this, that's not what we're saying, but there's a, a very specific, there's a very specific UK issue here that if you look across the markets in the US, um, to some degree also in the euro area, the credit markets are fairly large in the US and, and it's relatively liquid. Now, in the UK, the market is much, much smaller. And there's a reason when you look at the amounts of the Bank of England in its vast program currently purchased in this specific segment of the market is relatively small. And you've got to ask yourself why. Um, obviously, there are some restrictions, um, but even if you lift all the restrictions, say, on the rating front and the rating requirements, what you'll find is um, that the, the um, overall amount is not that big that they can purchase in the first place. And then when you look at, as we said, the liquidity issues, um, it's, it's not that easy to actually do it. Yeah, it's a fascinating debate, isn't it? If they can't buy in the corporate bond market, maybe they should buy the ETF or the underlying equity. No, I'm joking out there, central banks, if you're watching. I don't want you doing that, but I'm sure Andrew Bailey's uh, watching this morning. Good morning, Andrew. Uh, thank you, Peter. Excellent work. Peter Shafrick, Global Mar Macro Strategist, RBC Capital Markets. I'm going to apologise for some of that sound quality. It's mildly robotic, but he's not a Dalek, I can assure you. Right, coming up on the show, the UK is reportedly uh, looking to phase out Huawei in Britain after warnings from its spy agency. More on that after the break. And uh, for more on the surge in coronavirus cases in the US, as well as a surge in Chinese markets, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Look at this. Three percent higher Hang Seng. Four point seven percent higher CSI. Shenzhen three point five percent higher. Shanghai Composite. Just had a quick look at this one, just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. Again, I've been in the office since March. I thought I'd have a little look. The high of the year before this crisis. What do you think it was? Thirty-five, thirty-six. We're still recovering ground. No, it was around about thirty-one twenty. I, I saw back in January. So we are now significantly higher than that hole. We've rallied from 27.50, which was the March low, 27.50 up to 3,300, completely negating the coronavirus impact, completely negating the fact that the Chinese GDP has fallen aggressively. And there are concerns about trade wars, as we mentioned beforehand with Peter Shafrick and others as well. Isn't it extraordinary how some of these valuations have just gone gangbusters to the upside? Anyway, 
Let's uh, have a look at the European indices. European indices have been way more tempered. And I have to say, being a Brit, I spent a lot of time looking at the FTSE 100, which has been woefully underperforming in so many ways. Of course, concerns about coronavirus, concerns about the cost. And we've got Rishi Sunak coming out this week uh, in a couple of days. Who knows what he's going to pull out of his uh, hat? But I heard about uh, vouchers potentially to get consumers to spend on certain areas, including hospitality. Well, you've got to add in uh, the Brexit factor here uh, on the FTSE 100. The Zetradax is considered considerably uh, outperform the FTSE over a long period of time. Right, in the meantime, the CAC seen 102 points to the good. Uh, the French president, Emmanuel Macron, has named Jean Castex as the country's new prime minister, replacing Edouard Philippe in a high-stakes cabinet reshuffle. The former PM was the only French political leader to see public support rise amid the pandemic. Hang on, so you've got a prime minister whose support is rising. You've got a president who's got an election coming up at some stage. I wonder what's going on machinations perhaps. Uh, Mr Castex is a top civil servant who many people haven't heard of, but he also helped lead France out of the lockdown uh, and will be tasked to form the next government. Castex made his first official visit over the weekend to a semiconductor factory where he stressed that his cabinet will focus on the economic recovery in the near term. The government's objective is not just to act within the framework of the economic relaunch in the short term, but also to avoid maximum layoffs and to ensure durability in the long-term industrial jobs throughout our country. The French National Cyber Security Agency has announced it will push French telcos to avoid switching to Huawei for its 5G operations. However, the agency's head says the recommendations will not amount to a total ban. The decision means that companies already using the Chinese tech company's equipment in their mobile networks may continue to do so. Meanwhile, in the UK, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson is reportedly expected to begin phasing out Britain's use of Huawei in its 5G network this year. This following a report by Britain's spy agency pointing to risks posed by the Chinese conglomerate. That is according to the Daily Telegraph. Well, let's get to Arjun, who joins us with plenty more. Lovely to see you, my friend. What do you make of this from the other side of the world? Well, Steve, we know Huawei has been under a lot of pressure, a massive campaign from the U.S. against it, which has accused it of being a national security risk and said its equipment could be used by Beijing for espionage purposes. All claims that Huawei has denied. And what you're seeing here is now uh, a change in the U.K. stance, a U-turn, if you were in policy, because in January, Boris Johnson's government said that Huawei could play a limited role in the UK's 5G rollout. Now these reports are coming out suggesting that that could be changed. And in fact, Boris Johnson's government's going to say that Huawei's gear needs to be phased out of the current 5G networks that are being built so far by the big carriers over in the UK. Now, what's interesting is that the material change has been the US sanctions, according to these reports. Uh, the US in May moved to cut off Huawei from some supplies of key chips. It said it couldn't procure chips that were made using American software software and American uh, equipment as well. And that prompted the UK's GCHQ, a branch of GCHQ, to have an emergency review into that. And the conclusion, according to the reports, is that Huawei will now be forced to use equipment that the British government cannot vet, that is untrustworthy, and that could create some security risks in its equipment. Now, Boris Johnson is expected to be handed this report this week and then make a decision, uh, a final call on this later this month. But it will be a huge blow for Huawei. As I mentioned in the background, when Britain made that decision, 
decision in January to allow Huawei to take part in the 5G networks. The US was publicly very angered. They even threatened to cut off intelligence ties between the two nations over this. So there is that happening in the background. Hard to know how much that influence has had on this decision and, and the future decision that the government will make. But certainly Huawei very much in focus there. And if uh, the government does plan to essentially bar it from participating in the 5G networks, it'll be a huge blow for Huawei in a market it's been participating in for around two decades. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.